So right now it's budget season here at Genesis Church. And what that means is every year, this time of the year, our teams from both of our campuses get together. We just did this this last week. And our worship team and our groups team and our student team and our kids team, we come together and we map out what we want the year to look like from July to next June. And so what we're doing is we're putting all the events on a calendar to see how we're going to spend our days and our weeks and our months. And then we're going to build a budget around that, right? Many of you have probably gone through this process at home or at work before. And why do we do that? Because we got to have a plan on where we're going to go, right? Now, sometimes it has to do with the budget. Sometimes it's just your time. And if you're a student, middle school, high school, college student, you've probably done something very similar to this recently when you were picking out classes for this summer or the fall or in the year to come. Why do you do that? Because you're pursuing a degree and last I checked, they're not handing those out like candy, right? They're like, you got to go to this place at this time regularly. You got to make the grades. You've got to plan. You've got you've to follow along with the plan that the school gives you. And so you guys get this, right? The way we manage our time is important. There's something on the other, on the other side of it. Now, I want to go one step I want to go down a step. I want to get personal with this. And I'm going to ask you to participate with me and just participate with me. Make me feel good, okay? Just, if you want to make me feel good today, just participate with me. How many of you, by show of hands, use some kind of calendar, okay? This isn't a trick question, I promise. Okay, so most of us use a calendar. Now, how many of you are like my wife? You're old school, pen and paper with that little thing you can slide in your pocket or keep in your purse. So you can raise them high. I'm not, I swear, I'm not going to make fun of you, right? That's what my wife does. I don't know not to make fun of her. She, that's how she keeps her life organized. And we've got a calendar at home on the wall where she opens up the door and it's all penciled in there. I don't know how you fit our life into that little box. She does it amazingly. How many of you are like me and you're electronic? You've got it on your phone and it syncs to all your devices and your watch and it rings and it dings and it buzzes to let you know, hey, you have an appointment coming up, right? Or if you're like me, hey, you forgot that you have an appointment coming up and you're officially late, right? It's just, it's the beauty of technology. Now, one's not better than the other, but we just, we do that because our time matters. But I think there's a third group. How many of you are just Living to Vita Loca. You're, you're not, no calendar, right? This guy right here, a couple of, oh, wow. You all scare me. I want to introduce you to Officer Rob. He's going to escort you off the property. You can't live that way. Your time matters. Our time matters, right? And you know this. Now, I want you to think about this quote from Annie Dillard. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. The way that we spend our days is the way that we spend our lives. And it adds up over the course of time. Whether you use a calendar or not, that's not the point. The point is the way that we spend our time, it matters. There will be an end result because of it. And here's something to think about. This is a little morbid. We only all have the same number of hours in a day. None of us gets more, none of us gets less, but none of us are guaranteed the same number of days. And so we've got to make the most of that time. And today in Acts chapter 14, we're gonna learn a lesson about how to use that time for God's purposes in our life. If you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to turn to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 14. If you're new or you're visiting, we have been studying week by week, chapter by chapter through the book of Acts since early February. And now we are in Acts chapter 14. And I've got some good news for you. As of today, we are halfway through the book of Acts. If you've never read through the book of Acts before, you've made it halfway. And so many of you have said, I've really enjoyed this. I've learned, I've enjoyed learning along the way and applying it to my life. And I'm glad. I've enjoyed it too. Some of you though, you roll your eyes a little bit and you're like, can we please ax the book of Acts? Can we be done with the book of Acts? It's, 
Well, we're getting ready to take a break for the summer and we're going to jump into the Old Testament and we're going to get back into the book of Acts this fall. But we've made it halfway through. And what we're going to see today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. In Acts chapter 13, we learned that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, said, set apart for me two men, Saul and Barnabas. And the church in Antioch laid hands on them and they went out. They were the first international missionaries. They intentionally went out on mission to carry the message of the gospel in the movement of the church. We'd seen it move from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now it's going to go through the rest of the Roman Empire. It's going to begin to make its way to the ends of the earth. And I know some of us are visual learners. We learned this last week. I want to put a map up here of where they went on their journey. Now, I've never been to these places. I hope to go someday, but it just helps us see where they went. They left the church in Antioch. They sailed 130 miles to the island of Paphos. We learned last week, this was like Hawaii or the Bahamas. This is a great place to go, right? It was a familiar place because Barnabas was from there. They worked their way all, all the way across Cyprus. Then they sailed north to Perga. Then they traveled north to Poseidon Antioch, to Iconium, and then back east to Lystra and Derby. right? Now, some of us look at that and think, that's really cool. Some of us look at that and think, I, that isn't, I've never been there. Why, why does that matter? Well, here's the point several months. It took them several months, almost a year, several hundred miles. And they went out. They weren't just on a journey. They were taking the message of the gospel with them as they went. And they weren't just making disciples. What we're going to see in a minute is they were, they were actually planting churches, which is pretty cool, which means that the movement of the church was beginning to spread. And as you might imagine on their outbound journey, there were lots of highs and there were lots of lows. The highs were that when they went to these cities, there were people Jews and non-Jews alike in large numbers that were turning to Jesus. Their lives were being changed and it was celebrated. And then they'd move on to the next city. But then some of the lows, and there were some lows. In Acts 14, we learned that Paul was drugged outside of the city of Lystra and stoned. They were tried to kill him by throwing rocks at him. And he just got up and kept moving on. Like you talk about a low, low. Anybody anticipating that at work this week? right? No, I mean, this highs and lows. And at some point, the Holy Spirit said, it's time to go back. So let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 14, verse 20. It says this, the next day, as in the day after Paul didn't die from all the people throwing the rocks at him, the next day, Paul and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, the city where they had thrown rocks at Paul, Iconium and Antioch. Verse 27, look at this. As they went back, they're retracing their steps, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So they're passing back through and they're checking in on people. And look at what they say. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And I wonder if there was like a question and answer session. How do you know? Because the people in the last city were throwing rocks at me. It's gonna be hard, but following Jesus is going to be worth it. Look at verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. And with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Now, this was a new detail for me because churches, new churches were being established. New leaders were being installed so that the movement of the church could continue to spread to the ends of the earth. Guys, this happened on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago and it worked because we're here today and it continues to work. I don't know about you. That's exciting to me. Look at verse 24. After going through Poseidia, Antioch, they came to the region of Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. 
Verse 26, from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. And so I'm gonna put another map up here for you so you can see what their home journey looked like. So red is coming back home. They basically retrace their steps, but they add along the way, they add Italia. Now think about it. If you've been out and people are wanting to kill you, You'd want to get home. I would want to get home as fast as possible. So I would probably would have cut the corner from Derby to Antioch. I'm like, I'm out. I'm going home. They retrace their steps. They even add on a new city and then they sail back to Antioch. And here's what happened when they got to Antioch. Verse 27. On arriving there, this is the church that sent them out. This is the church that they had helped form. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there for a long time with the disciples. So they're back at their home church. They're celebrating, they're telling their stories. And this seems like a good end to the first missionary journey, right? Like everybody comes back a little banged up, right? Some scars, but they're back home and they're telling people about it. I want you to imagine that you're Paul and Barnabas. You've been gone for several months, almost a year. You've covered several hundred miles. I would be looking for my boss and saying, I'm pretty sure I've got some PTO, right? Can I take a break? Can I take a little bit of a vacation? That seems reasonable to me. And maybe they did. We don't know for sure but there's a detail hidden in verse 28 that tells us how they did spend their time. Look back at verse 28. It says, they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now that word stayed is the Greek word diatribo. And here's what that word means. Diatribo means to rub off on, to wear away or to get under the skin of. Now, this is a word that we've talked about before when we looked at the ministry of Jesus. We've talked about it on several occasions. But what it tells us is that when they went back to their home church in Antioch, they didn't take a break. They used their time with their church family to rub off on them. And I wonder if the reason they were rubbing off on them was, hey, the Holy Spirit sent us out on this mission, but this isn't just for me and Barnabas. This is what Jesus is calling us all to. We are all being sent in our, to our communities, to our places of work. So we want to rub off on you. You don't have to go to the far reaches of the earth. But I do think that Jesus is calling us out. We've seen it happen in all these other cities. So don't get comfortable where you are. Be ready to be sent out. Now, this is something that Jesus did with his disciples as well. If you go to John chapter three, the gospel of John chapter three, here's what we see. Early in Jesus's ministry, he, re, he re, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Recruits. He recruited five men, four of them were fishermen. And he says, come with me to a wedding in Cana. And while they're at Cana, he changes water to wine. And these five guys are like, what just happened? This is crazy. Now here's what happens after the wedding in Cana. These guys had barely known Jesus at this point. John 3, 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now that phrase, spent time with them, it's the same Greek word, diatribo. Jesus in the wilderness was rubbing off on his disciples. He was getting under their skin. He was showing them how to live this new kingdom life that God had called them to, that Jesus was modeling for them. And so I want us to think about this. If we see Jesus modeling it, and we see Paul and Barnabas doing it, don't you think that, he would, that we're supposed to do the same thing, to rub off on others. Now, I ask that as a question, but I'm gonna rephrase it as a statement. Since 
we see Jesus rubbing off on his early disciples. And since we see Paul and Barnabas rubbing off on their home church in Antioch, we are sure and certain that as followers of Jesus, we are called to do the very same things, to use our lives to rub off on the people around us. And this is not rocket science. This is called relational ministry. This is the way ministry is meant to work. Ministry is not meant to be a program on a day and a time. It's relationships. It's the relationships that God has placed in our life. And so I want you to think of the people in your life that matter the most to you, the people that you are hoping find faith in Jesus, the people that you are hoping grasp his forgiveness and understand that he wants to give them eternal life. These are people that if they were to die today, it would wreck your life. You'd be going to a funeral later this week. You would be sad. You'd go through a period of grieving. Who are the people in your life that you're hoping for? Okay, you probably have a good idea who they are. Hoping for them is a terrible strategy. Hoping for them isn't loving because hoping for them isn't what Jesus modeled. He didn't say, hey, go hope for people. He said, I want you, I'm gonna show you how to rub off on them. I want you to use your life to teach them who I am. Because the greatest gift that we can give anyone is the gift of our time. And the purpose behind giving them our time is to rub off on them so they can find their way back to God through a relationship with Jesus. Jesus has shown us what this looks like. We have proof. The book of Acts is proof. Because after he rose from the dead, he looked at his early followers and said, I'm back just like I told you I would be. And now I'm gonna put the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lives in me, I'm giving to you and I want you to go. You are being sent into this world to rub off on all the people around you. I have spent time rubbing off on you. I want you to do the same thing. And in Acts, guess what? We know that it works because the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Antioch. The church in Antioch begins to grow. The church in Antioch sends these guys out with the message of the gospel and the movement of the church. And that's the first missionary journey. So here's what I want us to do with the time that we have left today. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this is not optional. If you're not willing to do this, I would say you're not following Jesus because he's following you. He wants to lead you somewhere. And if you're not going, you're not obeying. We're not obeying. So how do we make this intensely personal in our own life? Now, when you walked in today, you should have received one of these. If you did not, raise your hand and Dan and Nikki are gonna hand these out because you're gonna probably want some of these. So we got some hands. So they're, while they're circulating these, let me tell you what's on this sheet of paper. On this sheet of paper, we're gonna walk through six disciple-making skills and they spell out an acronym of A Place. And I'll walk you through what that means. But here's a way you can remember this. These six skills show us that God has a place for us in his kingdom. God wants to use our lives to advance his kingdom. These are six skills that we walk through when we, use, when we go through our multiply workshop uh, a time or two throughout the course of the year, okay? So let's start with the first skill at the top. The first skill, Dan, there's a few over here um, and one up here. Nikki, right here. Sorry, I know, I know you're hustling. You're hustling. You're doing good. Feel free to wave those hands. Yep, there you go. Good job, Beth. You're doing a great job. You're a great hand waver. The first skill, the first A in A place is abiding in Christ. 
Abiding in Christ. If you've been around Genesis for a while, you've heard us talk about abiding. Abiding, though, isn't a word that we use a lot. A lot of times in the New Testament, it's translated as remain. But here's what abiding means. It means to dwell with, to rest in, and to continue to be present with. It's from a spiritual perspective, abiding is staying relationally connected to Jesus. Now, you might think, well, yeah, of course, But you know what Jesus said to his disciples on the night that he was arrested? This is what Jesus said. He said, remain in me, abide in me, and I will remain and I will abide in you. This is just a few hours before he's getting ready to be arrested. You remain in me and I will remain in you. Let's stay in relationship with one another. And then he said this, because apart from me, apart from a relationship with me, you can do nothing. Jesus's words, not mine. If you're not abiding in me, if you're not remaining in me, if we don't have a relationship, you can spend your whole life doing your thing and you will do nothing that matters for eternity, nothing for the kingdom of God. But then he said this, if you remain in me and I remain in you through the Holy Spirit's help, I wanna use your life to produce fruit for the kingdom of God, eternal fruit in the lives of people that matter to you. Abiding is the most important aspect of following Jesus. This is, it's spending time with him. It is slowing down and sitting down and listening for his voice, enjoying his presence. It's reading God's word and saying, that made no sense to me. Can you please speak to me, God? Now, I don't sit still well. That doesn't mean I don't abide well. I just don't sit still well. But right now he's saying, if you want to abide, I need you to sit I need like a toddler chair. I just need to sit and I'm strapped in. I can't move. Sit and listen, Jerry. Just be, be with me. Abiding isn't meant to be intimidating, but it is meant to be intimate. It's your time with Jesus. And your time with Jesus is between you and him, not between you and everybody else. We have got to learn to abide with Jesus so we can hear his voice and we can know how to Just be ready to do whatever he's going to ask us to do next. So that's the first skill. But in disciple making, abiding with Jesus should lead us to pray for people by name. That's the P, praying for people by name. Now, we've talked a lot about praying the last few weeks. We've said that praying is accessing the power of God for our personal lives. And I've got an open invitation for all of you. There's two of them. We've got a prayer team that we would love to grow. There's people that meet at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings in that living room, and they pray for the person speaking, they pray for the person listening, they pray for our church family and any needs that we have. If you are interested or curious about being on the prayer team or learning how to pray for other people, find me after service. I would love to introduce you to some people or come forward after service for prayer. There is power in prayer. But from a disciple-making perspective, we should all be praying for people by name. You know why this is important? Because we are accessing the God of the universe and saying, hey, will you move in the life of this person? It gets us out of the middle. It reminds us we don't have anything to do with it other than being faithful to God, but we get to pray for their needs because we know them. And we should be heartbroken for whatever their needs are. And this could be someone that's not following Jesus or that is new in their faith. But praying for people by name is really, really important. And here's a crazy idea. If you pray for people by name, oh, this is crazy, you guys. I don't even know if this is legal you can pray for the opportunity to pray with them out loud using your own voice. I think that's legal. That was a joke. You should chuckle nervously. That's what we should be doing. 
but we can pray for them out loud and show them what a relationship, a prayer relationship with God looks like. So praying for people by name, that leads to loving other people the way that Jesus loves them. This is where it gets hard. But this is also where the most joy is found because loving people can be difficult. But if you're a follower of Jesus, simple question, how has he loved you? Did he show up with a list of demands or did he just say, I love you. I just want you to follow me. Just put your faith in me. His love for us is so good and so patient. His grace for us is beyond what we can explain. And Jesus says, that's how I want you to learn to love other people. Not easy, but possible. Jesus modeled it for us. We know that we can do it with the Holy Spirit's help. So we love them the way Jesus loves them. Not the way that we want to love them. Not the way they love us, the way Jesus loves them. And that leads to applying the word in their lives. Now that might sound really obvious, but as we abide in Jesus, part of our responsibility is helping other people apply the word of God to their own life, which means we need to be in the word on our own. And that's a Sunday morning thing, but it's also a during the week thing. You can't take somebody that you're not where you haven't been. And so if you're not applying the word to your life, this is gonna be a really difficult step. I would say impossible. But with the Holy Spirit's help, as you apply the word to your life, you can apply it to their life. And this is really simple. You can just spark up a conversation and say, hey, let me share with you something that I learned at church this week. Let me share with you something that I was talking about with my friends. And you bring your relationship with God and your interaction with the word to them. And you can say, hey, are you learning anything from scripture? Or maybe something comes up in their life and you can say, hey, can I show you what scripture has to say about that? What God has to say about that? I mean, it's a really non-confrontational approach. Now, will everyone love it? Eh, Hasn't been my experience that everyone loves it, but it's God's word. It's power that's not mine. I'm just saying, hey, did you know that this power is available for you? So we apply the word of God to their lives and then it gets real tricky. The C is challenging them to obey. Doesn't that sound fun? You might wanna go challenge somebody to obey God this week. We can't challenge people to obey God if we're not willing to do it ourselves. Don't even waste your time. The word hypocrite is associated with that, and that's not good. But the reason we abide is so he can, we can hear Jesus saying, hey, I thought, I've forgiven you of all this. Why are you still dabbling there? Why are you still talking that way? Why are you still looking there? Why are you, is that the way that I love you? And he's gonna do it gently, but we have to learn to obey. But as we learn to obey, the people around us that are watching they're going to start to see what obedience looks like. And then the beauty of a relationship, a real relationship, is that you get to push on each other in some good ways. And you can say, hey, can I just challenge you as you learn to follow God? Like, this is what he wants for you. I've had several conversations like this in my life. And they've not all been pleasant. But I've seen people come back and say, hey, thank you. That is exactly what I needed here. Or it's done to me. And I'm like, ugh, in the moment. But then I go back and I realize there's power in God's word when we challenge people that we love and that love us to obey. You know, in Matthew 5, in Jesus's greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he said to his followers, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Now, salt and light, what does that mean? Well, salt, he didn't say you're the salt of the earth and I want you to take that salt and I want you to rub it in people's wound because it stings and they need to know how bad they are. You need to shame them. That's not how you use salt. You use salt 
to sprinkle your conversations with the things of God. You use salt, the salt of God, to bring flavor to this world. And then Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Have you ever had anybody shine a light in your face? Isn't that fun? Aren't you like, just do that again, please. Burn my retinas. No, you're like, what are you doing? You lost your flashlight privileges, right? Same is true for us. We don't take the light of God's word and say, hey, I just want to let you know you're a sinner. You're going to hell. Congratulations. That's not the light of the world. The light of the world is, hey, can I show you what God's word says? Why do you live this way? I'm trying to live in obedience to God. You're bringing the light of God into darkness. And guess what? If you get out of the way, he can do more with that than you could ever ask or imagine. Uh, the Psalms say that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We need that light. The world needs that light. And so we can challenge the people that we love, that we're hoping for to obey, to respond in obedience to Jesus. But we have to be willing to obey Jesus ourselves. And then all of this works up to the E, equipping them to invest in others. This is what Jesus modeled with his disciples. Many of his early disciples were fishermen. And he's a brilliant teacher. Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna teach you how to fish for him, but I need you to follow me. You're gonna to need to learn from me. So he said, I wanna equip you how to do this, how to fish for people. And then he took them on fishing trips. He took them to lots of different places where they interacted with a lot of different people and they got to see Jesus interact with all kinds of people. And he was saying, this is what it looks like to share your faith, to rub off on others. This is what our lives as followers of Jesus is supposed to look like. This is how the gospel has advanced for the last 2000 years. This is why we're being sent into the world, not to hope for people, but to pray for people, to abide in Jesus and to show them what it looks like to follow him. Now, does that mean that it's always going to be easy? No. Does that mean that everyone will respond to you the way you hope? No. Does it mean you might lose some friends? Maybe. But is it possible that people that are far from God can be brought to God? Absolutely, that, Welcome to the book of Acts. Welcome to the New Testament. Welcome to my life. You've got a story like that too. So being afraid is not a good reason to not do it because the one leading us has all the power. He's leading us into this. So let me share a few tips for us. Tip number one, you gotta be humble. I hate to tell you this, you don't know everything and neither do I. Nor are you expected to know everything. You've gotta be humble. You have to approach this in humility. Do you like when people storm into your relationships telling you everything that they think that you need to know about life? No. But humbly, if you share your life with them, I have a feeling with the Holy Spirit's help, they're gonna respond well. Be flexible. You're not in control of everything and neither am I. Be flexible to where the Holy Spirit wants you to go and be available. I don't think it's ever a good idea to tell the Holy Spirit, I'm not gonna do that because he's not gonna give up. So be humble, be flexible, be available because he wants to use you. He doesn't want to use somebody else. He wants to use you to reach the people in your life. So where do we begin? Well, I'm gonna come out with a couple of challenges. The first is public. This is for all of us to do together. Last summer, we hosted some things that we called backyard parties. And just like they sound, a backyard party is you leveraging your space to get to know other people in our church family, but it's also a place where you can invite your friends to just interact so people can get to know other people in a safe environment, okay? We did several of these last summer and all of them, to my knowledge, went really, really well. The hosts were all like, that was great. Thank you so much for challenging us 
to do this. And here's the great thing. As a host, you get to pick the day, you get to pick the time, and you get to pick what it looks like. For you, that might just be a cooler of drinks and people playing yard games. Or it might be that you have a pool and you're like, let's have a pool party. Or you've got a great backyard for a bonfire. Cool. There was some folks last year, they, they grilled out and they provided all the meat and said, hey, everybody bring a side. And the cool thing was we partnered with all of those people and they invited some of their friends that they knew in Genesis. But then we invited some other people once they gave us the dates. And it was so cool watching people get to know each other. And then they got to know each other on Sunday. And some of those, rela- those relationships keep going. That's the purpose of a backyard party. So I would love to challenge you to host one or to just be a part of one. You can go to our website, to the What's Happening page and click on the link that says Backyard Parties and just let us know. I'm interested in attending. I'm interested in hosting. We need both. We would love to partner with you in this way. But let's get personal. I want you to grab your sheet of paper. And we're gonna do something similar to what we did last week. We're gonna end by asking the Holy Spirit to guide us to where he wants to lead us next. Last week, we talked about how how the Holy Spirit led Paul and Barnabas to familiar places. Today, I wanna talk about familiar faces. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now, who are the people, who are the few people that you want me to rub off on in my life? Who are they? Where are they? So take a moment and ask him that question. Who are the people that you want me to rub off on? And then I want you to be faithful and to write down the names of the people on those blanks. So go for it. Have a conversation with him. Some of those faces might be real obvious. Some of those people might be like, oh no. Andy, can you send another one? Let's do this again. Pull the lever again, right? If God has put a face in your mind or a name, write it down because he wants to use you for a specific purpose. They might live under your roof. They might live down the street. They might work with you. They might be somebody you haven't talked to in a while. Last service, I had a lady say, when we were going through this exercise, her neighbor texted her and said, wanna walk tonight? She said, "I, I think I know who one of my people are. So check your phones. They might be texting you right now. Wouldn't it be just like God to do something like that? Now let's go next step. We talked about this a little bit last week. Here's the question that I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. What could I do this summer to take advantage of the, all the extra daylight and all the nice weather? What could I do this summer to invest in those people on the names you just, the names you just wrote down above? Ask the Holy Spirit and just jot down whatever he says. Maybe this is gonna be like a standing appointment. Coffee on Monday morning, lunch on Wednesday, dinner on Thursday. And it's just, it's set aside for these people. And I bet if you did that, it'd be really cool to see how over the weeks and the months to come, God just brought those people or maybe others there. It's a standing appointment. Maybe you're gonna host a backyard party. Fantastic. Maybe after listening to Danita, you're like, you know what? I could do that. Maybe I could invite some friends to join me. Maybe you don't wanna like to run. Maybe it's golf or biking or walking. 
Maybe it's just creating some space where you are developing some relationships. What is he calling you? How is God calling you to use your time to invest in those people specifically? Now, nobody likes homework. Congratulations, you just got homework. You are welcome. But you have the whole summer. You have the whole summer. So I want you to put this someplace where you're gonna see it. I've learned that I can put this in the cup holder of my truck and I look at it and I'm reminded to pray for those people. That's what I do with my men's group's prayer requests. They're just in my cup holder. Maybe this is on the refrigerator for you or it's in your room. It's on your mirror in your bathroom. Someplace where you're gonna see it. Can you give me a good reason not to pray for the names on this page? People that you love. What could happen if you partnered with some people and actually started doing some of those events? Can you imagine what God might want to do? How he might grow our church family? Can you imagine if, how you would feel if the next time we baptize one of your people were in the tank? They've surrendered to Jesus and they're learning to walk with him. Before we wrap up, there's one other group of people that I wanna to talk to. You might be here today and you think, I hear these people talk about Jesus like he's real. And I've learned a lot about him, but I don't know him. I want you to know that we believe what scripture says about Jesus is true. He has died to pay for my sin, for your sins, for the sins of the world. And through faith in him, our sins are forgiven and we are restored in a relationship with him. If you have never put your trust and faith in him, I wanna invite you to come forward after service. Let's start a conversation. You can go through life on your own without him. But when you die and you stand before God, you're gonna to have to say, oh, I tried to figure it out on my own. He said, that's not the goal. I sent my son to do that for you. Why not start a relationship with Jesus today? If you have a prayer request, I wanna invite you to come forward after service. Danita's gonna be over here with Team World Vision. If that's interesting to you, go do that. Let's get busy this summer investing in these people and trusting God to do amazing things. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul and Barnabas and their example. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your, the role that you play in all of this. Would you help us to stop opting out of being sent? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would confront us. If we are not following Jesus, if we're not going where you're leading, if we're not obeying, help us to quit playing church. Help us just have an honest conversation, but to follow you and to quit hoping for people, but praying for people. To use our words to say your name to use our time to point people to you. That's our prayer, Jesus. We love you. We wanna ask that you would do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine for your glory, not for ours. I pray that this fall we would look back and we would see between backyard parties and praying for people and, and using our time wisely, we would see people come to faith in you more and more and more. That's our prayer. Holy Spirit, would you send us out in your power today? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.